Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. We are at the start of 2023, and with that comes the start of the state legislative session. And as there are many people who are looking at the legislature to do many things, one of those being the New York Conference of Mayor, I brought in Jamestown Mayor Eddie Sunquist to talk about some of what is included on the legislative agenda for NICOM. So welcome to the studios again. Thanks so much for having me, Julie. Excited to talk about the legislative session. It's so, very exciting stuff. Yeah, you highlight <laughs> you be, highlighted some of the uh, things that the NICOM would like to see the state legislature pass this year in uh, at the city council work session on Monday night. And uh, looking through this packet here of, of the agenda there, I would say there was even, you probably could have gone over everything in here and everything would have been of interest to council and to the general public. So uh, starting up first, I call it the perennial uh, ask and request by probably municipalities across New York State is, I see they, there's a ask for the state to increase state aid to cities and villages. So uh, when was the last time state aid was increased for the city of Jamestown or anybody else? Yeah, that would have been about 14 years ago is when we had a state aid per capita. So to just give your listeners some context, uh, City of Jamestown receives about $4 million, which is directly related to our our, uh, the, our population here in New York. And we receive that from the state, and that goes to the general fund, and it's part of our budgeting process. Uh, however, that hasn't changed in 14 years. And so think about the cost of living. Think about how uh, you know our own pocketbooks have uh, have changed across the uh, across the years. And so we'd like that to be more equitable, and we'd like the state to share some of its resources with the cities that are on the ground doing the work. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in comparison, not to pit municipalities against school districts, but school districts have seen their state aid at least increase in recent years. Absolutely. And even especially during the last couple of years, uh, they've seen double, in some cases, triple the student or the, the state aid that they've received, where the cities have been left to you know fight for grants and other opportunities. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, uh, you said it's based on population, so I, I'm guessing that you're not seeing the same kind of issues that maybe school districts saw with the small cities lawsuit that uh, Jamestown School District and, and eight other school districts uh, were part of because they saw an inequitable funding of school districts across the state. So I guess it's probably not a similar situation with municipalities? Uh, no, not not so much. Uh, they've The only thing is that things have changed, right? Populations have changed. But over the last 14 years, Jamestown may have lost some population, but not enough to really impact the overall uh, state aid amount. What we're really asking for is just to apply a cost of living increase to that uh, state aid amount, uh, the cost of inflation over the years and things like that, uh, and make that a bit more equitable. Mm -hmm. And looking at the report here, that cost of living adjustment would be uh, require a $270 million increase, so a 38% increase. So uh, that's not an insignificant amount of money that is being asked for here. Certainly not an insignificant amount of money, but a drop in the bucket for New York State's overall uh, budget. Uh, 
especially given the fact that cities are doing all the hard work. We have not only increased mandates uh, that are often unfunded and that we have, we have to you know, absorb some of that cost, uh, so this would help us uh, deal with some of those things. Mm-hmm. Another thing you highlighted at the council meeting was um, a more dedicated funding stream for uh, doing water and sewer infrastructure upgrades. And you know, in fact, it was something was even on the council agenda last night for uh, doing uh, upgrades to uh, the water mains on Roland Street and Juliet Street. So what what is NICOM? asking the state to do in this case? Well, this is something unique that came up this year that many mayors had been talking about the need for dedicated water uh, sewer funding. Uh, More importantly, uh, to give your listeners some context, uh, New York State maintains a fund that cities can apply for either through loans or grants to use that and apply it for uh, water, wastewater, uh, stormwater uh, usage, Uh, even sewer usage, Uh, but it is so incredibly complicated. Uh, The city applied for uh, both a grant and a loan uh, back in 2019. Uh, We're still working on trying to get funding from New York State, even though we have a dedicated loan and dedicated grant fund. Uh, So, you know, consider that it is such a tedious process. As cities, we're saying we want to invest in resiliency. We want to invest in our our stormwater areas, especially given the amount of storms we have seen, not only here in Jamestown, but in cities across New York State. And we're asking the state to, instead of putting this in this giant pool and forcing municipalities to do this enormous amount of red tape, uh, do it the same way we do roads, which is a fund dedicated to the city each year, can be drawn down each year as we do the work. Mm-hmm. And the dedicated, that's, that would be the CHIPS program that you're looking at the state to maybe create something similar to CHIPS, but for water and, and sewer? Absolutely. Uh, in particular, we'd like to coordinate it with our CHIPS program. CHIPS being the program that allows us to pull funds to do road repair. One of the issues that mayors brought up, and in fact, we brought up in the city too, is that oftentimes your water line repairs don't coincide with your road repairs. So you may have just completely redone a road, and and trust me, I get this from our residents all the time. They're demanding to know why we just did this great new road, now we gotta tear half of it up because we have to replace the water main, right? Uh, And so we're, we're saying let us as a city help better coordinate those things by just creating this fund we can draw down from and apply it at the same times as chip funding if we need to do road repairs. So in a sense, a, a work smarter kind of idea. Well, that's the thought, but you never know what you get sometimes with the state. Right, and, and when you were mentioning the, you know, the grant and loan program, I frequently I'll, I'll see the announcements come from New York State saying about different villages. Westfield's had, I think, a variety of projects approved in the last year or two for, for these uh, where they've applied for and gotten grants, gotten loans for their water upgrades. And yeah, it does seem like it's very piecemeal. It's like it's not consistent across the district, you know, in terms of, you know, Chautauqua County. And uh, yeah, so this, I can see why NICOM is recommending this coordination to having this dedicated fund that would also work with CHIPS. That's the idea. I mean, I think as mayors, we are just trying to uh, work smarter, not harder in, in many cases. And we're trying to propose some real common sense solutions to things that uh, plague us every day. Mm-hmm. And this is not the only thing regarding, like, I guess, infrastructure that, that NICOM's looking at. I mean, you're looking at changes to CHIPS uh, in terms of um, how the formula is done. We are, yep. We're looking for some, some general allocation or changes to CHIPS allocation. In the last couple of years, we've actually received increased CHIPS allocation 
uh, which has been phenomenal. It's been wonderful. We've had record streets projects this year, and we've been able to apply that funding for a whole myriad of things. And as we move forward, we're really excited to talk about uh, you know the, the entire street and sidewalks, right? We've found in the last couple of years, we can apply CHIPS funding to sidewalks and other parts of the curbs. So we're really looking at streets from uh, the perspective of pedestrians and drivers. Uh, so that's been a wonderful thing. The other thing that we often talk about is the city is part of something called the Arterial Maintenance Fund. Uh, that is a fund that helps us deal with some of the state uh, highways, the state roads uh, in the city. And uh, that amount, that reimbursement rate that the city gets has not changed since the 80s. It's something that we have been working on trying to, to change. And I know uh, former Mayor Sam Teresi uh, was also working diligently uh, to try to increase the amount. Uh, you know, they only give us about 85 cents per square yard to uh, to, to fund this thing, uh, when something like that actually is probably worth more like $5 per square yard. So the city has to actually absorb that cost to do repairs to certain parts of it. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about state roads, we're talking about, would this include work to Washington Street or North Main Street or Foot Avenue? Yeah, these are the arterials, absolutely. So the larger roads that are they're state uh, state run, they do provide uh, mill and overlays. They do provide new reconstruction, uh, but at the end of the day, we got to take care of a lot of the patching and a lot of the just general maintenance of those roads. Mm-hmm. According to this report, that you're, that the proposed inflationary adjustment would be to two dollars and twenty four. Uh, cents per square yard compared to the 85 cents per square yard. Sure. So that, that would be a definite increase in you. Know, and like you said, it probably wouldn't even cover it all, but it would be helpful. It again. would certainly be be a great help. Great. So mo- moving to forward, uh, one thing that is I've heard from a county level to the city level and even you know in school districts is that there are issues with trying to find people to come work for the city. And there is a proposal to reform civil service law. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the other things that we've had a lot of challenge with. You know, under the civil service rules uh, or the laws, uh, you have to take a test. You have to be in the top uh, third or or top three uh, of the test in order to make your position permanent. And if you aren't, we as the city have to get rid of you, right? Um, Or if we hire uh, and uh, we, we have to use one of the tested lists. This has caused a huge issue, and I've talked on your program before about our police, right? We have no one on the civil service list right now for police. We're open. We just heard that a new one just came out, so that's great. Uh, but it leaves us in a really difficult position uh, because we're just kind of sitting there waiting. In some cases, we have to leave positions unfilled, or we have to put in a temporary position and hold them there until a test is given. In some cases, that's two or three years down the road. So you think about being in a job. You're there for two or three years, you take the test, you score number four instead of number three, two, or one, we have to get rid of you. Assuming that one, two, and three, uh, you know, don't take the job. <laughs> so it's really, it's really a challenge. And we're asking for just basic changes to civil service reform to help us hire people and to help us get more people into city government. Mm-hmm. And I think civil service, I mean, overall, I've heard generally that people think that it needs to be overhauled in general because either the uh, titles that are are outdated or that, you know, like you said, that this that it is so restrictive in terms of hiring that it's 
it's gotten difficult for municipalities. Yeah, the the titles even aside are, are really difficult because you're they're outdated. They're not they're not matching what the work that we're actually doing with a lot of these positions as the work changes over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and talking about police and everything, there there are public safety things that are in this agenda too. Uh, you know, talking about providing funding for EMS providers, but also there's the, I mean, which has been a really hot topic over the last year um, and, and more is bail determinations. So what is uh, the, what is the request regarding bail determinations in this for NICOM? Well, you know, we've had a lot of conversation as mayors over the bail reform process and what's involved. And what we're seeing here in Jamestown and what a lot of uh, mayors are seeing are individuals that are committing crimes, they're being released, uh, which is okay, but then they're committing 20 more crimes in the same time, in the same time period of the between the week that they get arrested and the week that they got to go to jail or the week they got to go to court, right? Uh, and so this is causing a, a serious concern that we are we're letting people back out on the street uh, and there's no consideration for bail, and in most often most instances people are not showing back up for court which causes additional warrants. We have now more strain on our officers for warrant checks, uh, and we're seeing a lot more of that across the process. So one of the things that the uh, the New York Conference of Mayors is saying is that we'd like to add increased lists of bailable offenses. Uh, there's, only, there's, there's a very small list currently. Uh, and we'd also like to um, give some consideration for public safety, Right? We'd like to be able to say, you know, will this person be a menace to what's going on? Will they cause more harm? Uh, and if that's the case, how do we get them into a, a, a jail system that will also help them at the same time? Uh, so we're really trying to add some additional things uh, to the bail reform process. It's something that the governor has mentioned that she is supportive, uh, but unfortunately has been stripped out by the legislature uh, the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I mean, think about someone who's been arrested, would this bail determination also allow um, judges to consider past history? Yeah, it would provide some discretion uh, to the judges. I, I don't think we're saying that you know we need to give all everything to the judges to make that decision. But I think we want to have categories of discretion that would say uh, we'll look at uh, the dangerousness of an individual right in the community. You know, I look at the city of Jamestown, we had one individual that, uh, you know, committed a, a low-level crime, uh, was released on an appearance ticket, which is fine, uh, but then committed uh, 17 other crimes that same weekend, which were much, much higher crimes uh, and more dangerous crimes, and were still released on appearance tickets, right? And so things like that uh, create a, a, a sense of danger in a community, a sense of fear, and and, and so... We want to make sure that we provide judges some discretion in that in that reality. Uh, but let me be very clear. Personally, I, I do think that we needed bail reform as a, as a community and as a state. Uh, but we stripped so much out of it. Um, we provided almost no discretion, and uh, it has uh, caused a lot of issues uh, across uh, the state, which has shown an increase in various things like gun violence and and other issues. Mm-hmm. I. The health of our neighborhoods, whether in terms of structural health of neighborhoods or in public safety, has been uh, another big issue uh, in recent history. And this seems like it, this uh, legislative agenda 
addresses some of the things that have been uh, at issue for municipalities, especially in Jamestown. Uh, looking at it, uh, we've heard about how housing court, when during the pandemic, was shut down, and so that you know people who were violating the housing code could not be prosecuted; and they could only work be worked with. But this agenda looks like it does propose some options that they hope the state legislature could pass to help alleviate that. So could you get into some of what is on, on this? It's, it's the title of it's called Enhanced Tools to Address Vacant Distress and Abandoned Property. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a few of those, uh, <laughs> abandoned, vacant, and distressed properties. So as a city, we've been working very hard to try to deal with those properties. And, and as you would mentioned, some of the concern has really been the court. We've limited, and there's still a limit on the number of cases the court will hear on every given week. So we're really taking the worst of the worst and trying to uh, get those remedied and get those addressed. You know, the majority of people that we have code enforcement issues for, they're able to resolve the issue within a time frame with our code enforcement officer and may never have to go to court. But we're seeing more and more uh, do have to go to court because they're just not working on the issue. They're not making progress, things like that. But more importantly, the state really has only given us a few tools in the toolbox uh, to deal with these vacant, abandoned, and, and distressed properties, right? So it leaves cities with trying to figure out what the heck to do. Uh, and in some cases, we've talked about having uh, you know rental inspection laws. We've talked about vacant building uh, uh, laws and provisions. We've talked about a lot of different things to add to that toolbox. But uh, what NICOM is proposing is uh, to really help us as cities better go after uh, neglectful building owners and landlords. One of the biggest problems we have is that people buy properties as LLCs, these, these corporations, right? And it's very difficult to track down who owns that LLC and there's no liability. So we can sue the LLC. The LLC might not have any money besides the rent coming in, uh, but we're not always able to find the owner. And in some cases, they won't even respond. So we're left with buildings that in many cases have burned down, holding the cost of demolitions and no way to attach it to this corporation that bought this building and did nothing with it, right? Uh, and so the, these set of uh, legislative agendas is meant to help us try to figure out what those who owns those LLCs so we can go after those individuals that are being neglectful at our properties. Um, it also allows us to uh, uh, go after individuals that have uniform uh, fire code actions, right? Those individuals that are making this unsafe and potential fire hazards, go after them in a criminal matter instead of just a civil matter, which we do now. Okay. And with the uh, regarding court, I saw one thing I thought was interesting because when, when right now with housing court, if you go, you go before the housing court judge. And that's your only option. And, and one of these things is asking for to allow municipalities to appoint hearing officers. So yeah. would that be something that is in addition to the housing court judge? Or is this a, a, just a step between? Or how? So some of, the, some of the communities, there's very few, but some will have a combined housing court. So they'll appoint a code hearing officer and that person will make those decisions. So think about this like traffic tickets. In some communities, there are traffic violation bureaus that appoint a, a separate person that overhears any of those matters and helps to adjudicate them. It helps the court, which is already overburdened because it's someone just focused on code enforcement and housing matters. Uh, 
that requires special legislation from the state. And in fact, uh, I don't remember if we've talked about it on your program before, but at one point uh, during, during COVID, uh, the municipal leaders around the city of Jamestown, uh, we all got together and we, we talked about this very thing, which is creating a uniform court that we all could appoint someone and send them to for code enforcement. Because we've all talked about the challenges with using our, our town, village, or city courts. These are judges that are already overburdened with a, a lot of different cases, right? And uh, this is probably the last thing on their docket one day a week. Uh, in some cases, in some communities, it's one day, one day a month, right? And so these things are not getting addressed. Uh, but that requires special legislation uh, from the legislature. And uh, it is one thing that we have been trying to push for as NICOM to ease the burden and get some of these code enforcement actions taken care of quickly instead of waiting months and months, some cases a year, just to resolve it. Hmm. So, and it's, we're just, there's a couple other pages here. So there's a lot of variety of, I mean, of things that NICOM's looking at, you know, the legislature to take in hand. And I think some of them even, I've, we've heard from other, even let our, our state uh, state senator and stuff like that. But before I get to that, so when we're talking about, obviously, housing and, and we're talking, it goes hand in hand with development as well because, you know, we're talking about structures and, you know, whether an LLC owns it or not. But there is another thing on here that deals with renovation and redevelopment of properties, and that is creating a local option property tax exemption. And... Looking over this, is this something that you could see working here in Jamestown, this this idea? Yeah, so New York State does have uh, some property tax exemptions uh, for developers that include some type of usually residential component to it, uh, sometimes mixed use. Um, that exemption has uh, gone extinct, for lack of better terms. The city itself never adopted it. Uh, as an exemption, uh, it did create a lot of different uh, redevelopment in the city of Buffalo and others. So NICOM is, uh, is looking at a way to say, how do we provide an exemption for folks that are going to redevelop properties for residential uh, purposes, right? Whether that's new apartments, uh, new need for housing, things like that. We have so many vacant buildings and there's really no incentive for a developer to come and redevelop an old warehouse into uh, apartments or any type of residential space because the cost is so prohibitive. And we're gonna have to tax you on it. Uh, so there is an opportunity uh, for that NICOM is proposing, uh, something that has been done out of uh, Batavia and I think Steuben County that uh, allows uh, for a property tax exemption if you are making residential property out of uh, mostly abandoned, blighted properties. Um, we'd love to see that. I think it would be phenomenal for the city of Jamestown. Uh, but I also um, would, you know, caution or tell your listeners take a take a listen to what the the governor uh, Kathy Hochul is going to be saying in her state of the state uh, this week, because there is going to be a renewed push for housing across the state of New York and affordable housing. So we're hoping that not only are we going to push this on the legislature side, but there may be something coming. Uh, from the governor's budget that may assist us in uh, trying to take these vacant, blighted properties and turn them into residential housing. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
For anybody who's listening, if you, if you want to read this uh, legislative program, it is available on uh, NICOM's website. And we're kind of going, I'm going through it maybe in order of the, of the report just because it, there, there is a lot in here. And it, so it sounds like maybe we're switching topics here and there. But uh, another thing that was on here was about the cost of per, the prevailing wage mandate. And I know we've had some projects here in the city that have required to use a prevailing wage. Uh, is this... I know this is NICOM's agenda item for prevailing wage, and we've had had some projects here in the city. Is this something that you see as benefiting what is happening with projects the city may do? Yeah, so this policy actually comes out of our Government Operations and Community Redevelopment Committee. You know, a prevailing wage is required on all public, public works projects, um, irrespective of kind of the capital costs. Uh, the threshold for those contracts has been $1,500. So any project over $1,500 requires prevailing wage, uh, which does increase the cost of projects. Uh, that has not changed since 1971. Uh, so that committee is proposing that uh, that threshold amount change from $1,500 to $50,000, which would be more in line with what we would see today. Yeah, and I'm thinking about you know average cost of projects. We we barely see projects that start at one thousand five hundred dollars. So that would definitely make sense from you know from a um, just a, a cost saving standpoint. So uh, going forward and maybe moving into uh, more you know newer technology, uh, I see that and this is something I don't know how much it affects when you have. A, um, a municipally owned power plant, but there is a, a request for solar projects and expanding pilots uh, for projects. Is this something that would really, is this more of an outside of Jamestown kind of thing that that NICOM's looking at, given our situation with the BPU? Yeah, it certainly would be. I mean, there's, there's a need for additional uh, solar projects across the state as we start to look at new mandates for electrification and other uh, kind of going green measures that the state has been enacting. But, you know, with the with the city, we are just in, we're, we're almost always in a very unique position where we've got a really incredible resource in our uh, own utility company. And we're able to do those things um, really beyond the need for going to the legislature for some things. Um, right now, they would like expanded solar projects. And in many communities, you'll have to ask permission from the state legislature or ask it from one of the various uh, uh, state boards in order to go forward with those projects. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but one thing that you are working on, and it has to do with broadband access and yeah. accountability, we have the, you know, the Broadband uh, Feasibility Commission currently meeting and everything. Uh, one of the things that NICOM is proposing and supporting is um, helping create municipal broadband systems. Yes. Uh, it's been something that's been on the radar for a while, and Jamestown has actually been on the forefront of that, which is the the push towards having a municipal broadband system. Uh, right now, it's uh, it's not, in some states, it is explicitly uh, banned for a municipality to start these systems. Uh, and we wanna expand that uh, here in Jamestown. Uh, it's not banned in New York, uh, but it is, uh, it's not necessarily authorized either. Uh, so we're, uh, we're working to try to figure out how, what place do we have um, and how do we make that happen? Mm-hmm. And uh, we heard a lot from State Senator George Borello about about right away issues, and I see sure. maybe that I don't know how where he will stand on these requests. Uh, I know that he did, was successful in some legislation to you know 
eliminate some of the the right away fees for broadband companies. And now I'm seeing, uh, you know, NICOMs, you know, saying, well, we need to have right away control in respect to 5G proliferation and in, and ensure taxability of cellular and broadband infrastructure in right aways. And so these two, can you talk about what these two items are and why, why they are important for municipalities? And maybe, I don't know if you have any opinions on how maybe that can be balanced with uh, companies' needs. Yeah, absolutely. So there, this is there. There are two separate things uh, that I think Senator Brello is uh, that you're, you've mentioned about Senator Brello. First and foremost, Governor Cuomo imposed a right-of-way fee on uh, state highways uh, for broadband uh, wires, uh, broadband access, right? And it was a pretty hefty fee. Um, my understanding is that that has been removed from the next budget or will be removed uh, from the budget. And uh, that is uh, probably a good thing for companies because the fees were, were quite outrageous <laughs> at one point. Um, uh, but what, what NICOM is really looking at is 5G infrastructure. Uh, so for your listeners, 5G infrastructure comes in many forms, typically small cell uh, wireless devices that are placed on uh, buildings or city infrastructure. That could be a traffic pole, that could be a, a telephone or electric pole, that could be a new made-up tree that's developed, right? In some communities, there are giant poles on sidewalks that have appeared. Uh, so one of the issues that we've seen is the federal government has started uh, to come into play, in some, in some cases the state, and have preempted a city's right to determine where those go. Right? And in many cases, we don't want ugly black poles popping up on our sidewalks, right? We don't want all these different devices just appearing on public infrastructure. Uh, so as a city, we have actually been very proactive. And a couple of years ago, we created a whole 5G siting plan. Uh, so any community or excuse me, any company that wants to come in and provide a 5G infrastructure would pay a fee and would have to be within our guidelines for placing it on any type of public infrastructure. Okay. And uh, another thing I saw in here, and, and I guess something I, I didn't think about, uh, is uh, a proposal about recovery of fees from cable and internet providers. And currently with the way cities operate is that you have, if you have a cable company, in our case, we have Spectrum mm -hmm. uh, yeah. around in Western New York primarily, is that you get, the city gets a franchise fee. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, this is talking about changing the fee because of how cable has essentially changed in our each or any of our homes and how we and we utilize an internet. So, in terms of like, do you, do you think I, I maybe you can explain? So they're talking about imposing a five percent fee on digital streaming providers. So this would be maybe in addition to like Spectrum or and include. Well, let me tell you why I'm so angry about franchise fees, Julia. I'm so I'm really glad you asked this question. Uh, so when I first uh, came on as mayor, I learned a bunch about what a franchise fee is. So it's an opportunity for the city to have a dedicated cable provider that in this case is Spectrum, Charter Spectrum, uh, that would provide cable services to the community and in exchange pay a fee for each subscriber back to the municipality. Um, you'd often see that on your bill. If you've got cable, there's a fee for it, right? Uh, so, so that's great. However, the federal government uh, came in several years ago and said that only applies to cable. And so that only applies when you, for example, get cable from Spectrum and you get a cable box and you hook it up and you pay for the whole host of channels that they offer in their cable package. 
It does not apply for internet service, phone service, and does not apply if you get your cable, your, your TV channels through the internet. So <laughs> it's a little bit different, right? Because you may have noticed, and probably most of your listeners have gotten advertisements to do the a la carte cable packages, right? And the way they do that is not through cable, but through their internet service. And that is not taxed. It is not a franchise fee that the city gets. So as you may imagine, many people in the community have cut cable, gone to just internet or TV over internet, uh, and we get none of those revenues. So our cable franchise fee has actually gone down tremendously over the years. It has not been a steady source of income, and in many cases, the accounting is wrong. So we typically have to go back uh, to Spectrum and say, hey, you need to fix this. Uh, so it's been a real challenge. We've been fighting not only the federal government, but we were asking the state to uh, preempt that and officially say, you must pay with that franchise fee to the municipalities. Right, and I'm thinking of the number of people I know who are using just any variety of TV packages out there, for lack of a better phrase, that are not like strict like cable. Uh, you know, they're like either using the YouTube or they're using uh, even DirecTV's internet package and uh, with an internet program. Yeah, it's it's changed dramatically even in the last ten years and you know or more. So so I can understand why municipalities really want to see that change. So true, and, yeah, our, and our franchise agreements up, right? It's been up since uh, I took office. We've yet to uh, renew that. But what we're seeing is as we engage in conversations to renew it, we're just watching Spectrum pull out more and more. And uh, it's uh, it's very disheartening to see. Mm -hmm. So this is a very large packet, I mean, a very large agenda and varied agenda. So how does NICOM go forward with dealing with the legislature to try to get any of this passed? Well, you know, this is actually the condensed version of all the things that pop up. So they ask uh, mayors and communities that are part of NICOM talk about all the issues that they have and the committees try to distill that to the top, you know, three, four items. Uh, from there, we then we then send the mayors out to lobby, right? So one of the great uh, and really fun part of my job is I get to go to Albany and I get to lobby for these things. So we'll pick some of the items that are probably most important to the city of Jamestown and we'll directly lobby uh, the various members of the legislature that are either chairs of the various committees, uh, or are supportive uh, of some of these uh, proposals, uh, or even folks that aren't, and maybe they need to hear directly from mayors on what's going on. Uh, we often find that that's the disconnect in Albany, is that you're not listening to the people that are that are in this in the community. Uh, in some cases, we often see that uh, the poll from New York City has a lot of different needs than the poll from upstate New York. Uh, so it's important for mayors to physically be there and to talk to our legislators about what's going on. Uh, and in some cases, uh, reinforce the things that our current legislators are bringing forward to the legislature. Mm -hmm. And this, you actually have a specific set of lobby days that are coming up in the future. We do, yes. Uh, first week of February, we'll, uh, we start our legislative uh, session with NICOM. So we not only have a, a day of a conference, but we actually go out and lobby up on the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And and given that, I mean, we're a couple of weeks between. So we're, we're, as we're talking today, this is the day that Governor Hochul will give her state to stay. I imagine she there's a good chance she'll give her budget maybe addressed before that February date. Yeah, normally that's the case. Uh, or there is, uh, you know, they're, they're working towards that budget address that, that'll start to come out. 
Uh, so we, we typically do the lobbying and then we'll have some additional lobbying after the budget comes out, depending on how much is there uh, and what's in the budget. So especially uh, as it aligns to our priorities, how can we uh, ask the legislature to tweak some of that budget in order to ensure that we receive the funding that we're requesting under these priorities? Mm-hmm. Well, for anybody who wants to read this full report, you can view it at NYCOM, NYCOM.org. And they also um, have presence on Instagram and on Facebook and on YouTube as well. So for anybody who's interested in learning more about what NICOM does, including their legislative program for 2023, you can go there. Mayor Sunquist, thank you so much for coming in to talk about this with us. My pleasure, Julia.